Have you ever sat down and thought that you were supposed to start a podcast? Have you ever wondered how you're going to do that and how that will work? Anchor.fm is the link where this podcast is recorded. It is so helpful, so easy to do. Now, come on, people. If I can do it, y'all can do it. I'm telling you what. So (laughs) go to anchor.fm, start your podcast, and follow what God is calling you to do. Do you want to go deeper in your faith even while you're on the go? No matter how busy the season you're in, Access More has a library of faith-based podcasts to help you grow spiritually with podcasts from Christian thought leaders such as Christine Kane, Lisa Harper, Taryn Wells, and Bob Goff. You can hear podcasts on religion, culture, family, entertainment, and so much more. Access More gives you a safe space to find inspiring conversations about faith. Start listening today at accessmore.com or the Access More app. Welcome to season nine of the Anchored by the Sword podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today to hear the freedom story of the person being interviewed and learn how they became more anchored to God and to his word. I pray that you would be able to glean something off of their story today, even if it isn't your individual story. God bless and enjoy the episode. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Anchored by the Sword podcast. I'm really excited today to introduce to you a new friend, someone that I have kind of followed in the social lanes for quite a while, and I was really ecstatic to get a chance to talk to her. So Susie Larson, thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks for having me. Great to be with you today. Absolutely. Can you tell my listeners more about yourself? Sure. Let's see. I've been married since 1985 to my giant oak of righteousness husband. He's a good, <laughs> solid, steady man, and he's built like an oak tree. So um, three sons who are built like him as well, just big, giant men, and they're married. And I, uh, our daughters-in-law are just so precious. And we've got three grandchildren out of mm-hmm. from our youngest son. And uh, we've got some infertility issues with uh, one of our other sons that's been very heartbreaking, but we're believing God for some miracles there. By my feet right here, I have Memphis, our pit bull boxer mix, who's very much part of the family. Uh, My hubby is a commercial construction manager by day, and he runs the ministry by night, so to speak. So he um, oversees, he's a construction manager, so he oversees the building of uh, like sports stadiums and hospitals. So he, I always joke that he builds things in proportion to his size, you know, he builds (laughs) things because he's big. Uh, And then he runs the ministry, which is absolutely amazing to me. All the inventory, all the web stuff. When we travel, you know, when I'm speaking, taxes are different in different states and he just manages all of that. And just, you know, we've been at this for a while and years ago, we started to notice how uh, different women uh, who are kind of on the road and with their husbands were at home, it was just a strain it was putting on marriages and almost this Mm -hmm. weird inequity kind of thing. And I'm not faulting anybody who has to do it that way, but we just determined either we go together or we stay together. So, you know, I might work full-time in radio. I have a daily talk radio show and I'm the host. And then I write books. So radio and writing are probably my two main things. Um, Mm -hmm. I speak, you know, probably... 15 times a year at events, which is still more than I want to. We say no a lot, but I, I still battle. For so those of you who've ever heard my story, I contracted Lyme disease as a young mom during my pregnancy. That young son is in his 30s now. So it's been a long battle, a long, long battle of neurological Lyme, ups and downs and twists and turns. And um, I experienced a pretty massive relapse about seven years ago. And at, 
apparently people with chronic Lyme have a, a, a deficient gene, most of them in their body that doesn't allow them to process mold. So if you have a mold exposure, if you're, if you're a normal person who can process mold, you might go into an old musty, dirty building or a beautiful building that has mold in the walls that you don't know about. And you might get a little headache or sinusy and your body would process it. You wouldn't even know what happened. Mm -hmm. For those who have the mold deficient gene, it gets into your body, your body can't process and it attacks your nervous system, your brain and different things. So mm -hmm. I had a massive black mold exposure and it attacked my brain and my MRI was kind of a nightmare. So as a person who's live talk radio, I couldn't find words. My tongue was going numb, my head was going numb. Uh, bone crushing headaches and dizziness and confusion, cognitive issues, terrifying, just terrifying. And so that was seven years ago and I've been working my way back from that. I'm still doing all the things that I do and I'm way better than I was, but I mean, I don't go a day without numbing in my face and neck and pain in my head and things like that. So God has brought me so far in the Lyme journey, the mold journey. Uh, what I have left, it feels like it's from my neck up. You know, I told my hubby, if you cut my head off, I'd be healthy as can be. Because it's like symptoms from here up, but it, it, it's just so constant, loud, loud ear ringing and numbing and head pressure. And, but, you know, I mean, God has used it to make me laser like focused. You know, he said to me one day, you don't have to feel well to be powerful in the kingdom. So just keep doing what I give you to do. And it's made me really feisty because I'm not going to sit around and feel sorry for myself. I have stuff to do. I'm going to give an account someday for what I did with my time, treasure and talents. And it's not to say I'm above pity parties because I've thrown a few of those, but it, they don't get me anywhere. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I'm contending every day for full healing and I've come a long way. I'm not there yet. Um, but I just every day, thank the Lord for another day and steward what I can with what I've got and ask him to breathe on it. And he does. So. Wow. That's quite a story. Um, I don't, I don't really know anybody who's had Lyme disease to that extent. So um, it's a terrible disease. I'll tell you that it's terrible. You said you got it. You started with it when you were pregnant with your third son. So what was really tricky is uh, we had our first son. We got pregnant on our honeymoon. We were going to wait five years and uh, to have kids because we were newly married and we were very young, early twenties when we got married, but mm -hmm. through the pregnancy found out I had endometriosis and the doctors had said, you will have a hysterectomy in your twenties. So if you want more mm -hmm. kids, you've got to have them now. So then the second one, I was on bed rest for three months because of a high risk pregnancy and had a traumatic birth with him and an evil doctor who hated women and later yes. lost his license because he did such terrible things to those of us uh, when our husbands were out of the room. It was terrible. I wrote a little bit about that in my book, Fully Alive, but I didn't give mm -hmm. details. But that was so hard. And then when I was pregnant with number three, I had to go to bed rest at three months. So I had six months of bed rest with a one and a three-year-old and we were going broke because of medical debt. So already I was entering into the valley of the shadow and it was a number of years where I felt like God lost my address. And so I was probably three months into that bed rest. I had six months to go. I'd used up all my friend favors, you know, I mean, everybody was getting sick of me and I was getting sick of me, but we were dirt poor and I had a one and a three-year-old and we just didn't, you know, so I had friends taking turns babysitting and bringing meals and it was confronting every insecurity in me. And I, I didn't even realize how much of a Christian striver I was until I was in debt to everybody, you know, and about six months along, so three months in bed, three to go. I begged God, you know, to just speak to me. And I was feeling pretty depressed. And the doctor said, um, you know what, let's let you get up and test the waters. You hadn't contracted in a few days. And so I met my old college roommates uh, in the, it was a fall day in this little quaint town in the Twin Cities area and went for a walk and had lunch. By nighttime, I was contracting. So I was back in bed. And two weeks from that outing, 
a friend had come to visit me and she said, hey, can I get you your your bottle of water or whatever? And I'm like, yeah, it's over there. And I pointed and pins and needles shot up my arm. And, and she was oh. talking. And I'm like, what, what? And all of a sudden this buzzing, numbing feeling in my base of my skull started kind of buzz and pulse. And it crawled around my whole face, started to buzz and pulsate like there was a blood sucker on my face and my vision started to blur. It was terrifying. And I still had oh. three months to go. And then I had a friend who uh, was getting kind of tired of me. And I like to say she had the gift of discouragement, you know, because <laughs> she would say just really terrible things. Because I, you know, I almost wish she would have gone away rather than hung around and spewed things. But she, when she was hearing about the neurological symptoms and I was so terrified, she goes, you know, I guess it's personalities like you that most often get MS. And I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And after she left, I literally felt like the spirit of fear entered my heart and my home. I mean, I... I was terrified. We both knew a, a young athletic gal who uh, was just debilitated by MS very quickly. So that visual was right in front of me. And I'm like, I don't know why God's not speaking. His word seems dead on the page. My friends were not to say they didn't have problems, but they had their health. They had finances. They all, they were, they were living their best life. We had none of that. And I did, and I was still new enough in my faith. I didn't understand what God was up to. And, uh, and so when she said that, I mean, fear amped up to me for a whole new lot to a whole new level. And because you know, a little bit about my backstory, I, I come from a big family and a, a nice, wonderful family, but I had two very significant tra childhood traumas at the hands of some teenage boys in our neighborhood, a sexual trauma when I was nine. And then when I was 10, I was jumped by a different group of boys and beaten very terribly. And when I got up from that beating, I mean, and we, we were raised in a denomination where I knew God was real, but I didn't know Jesus was accessible. I really had a tangible sense that God is real. That's all mm -hmm. I knew. But when I got up from that beating with snarled hair and a fat lip and a, you know, a little girl, you know, and these boys, these big boys, how, what would possess them to do that? You know, but I got up just kind of my bell rung and I heard in my ear, I can get to you anytime, anywhere, and God will never stop me. And that is when, you know, I knew I had an enemy. So when this girl said this to me, it was just sort of a reinforcement that I don't enjoy the protections that everybody else enjoys. So it was a lot for me to untangle in the battle of Lyme and neurological Lyme and fear and anxiety. I mean, I'm the poster child for he chooses the things that are not to nullify the things that are, the, you know, the weak to shame the strong, because I literally army crawled through those years. Go, you know, and I remember God just confronting my fear, you know, saying, Susie, you know, are you a believer just because you've secured your eternity or, or, or because you actually believe this stuff? Like, when are you going to shift your weight onto the promises to see if they actually hold? And you, you can't behold faith when you're beholding fear. You have to turn your back on one to behold the other. So either you're going to behold fear or you're going to behold faith. You're either going to trust me or you're not. And I mean, I just, I didn't have like a youth group. I didn't have any kind of like that kind of, uh, you know, background or undergirding growing up. So I really was learning this in such a solitary way, but the Holy Spirit did teach me and I would find a promise and grab hold of it like a bulldog to say, okay, your promises are true. And in the middle of that, I mean, to be in my twenties and early thirties and have memory loss, short-term memory loss, because it was so neurological and brain related and so scary. I mean, I really didn't think I had a future anymore. I just thought, Lord, let me, let me live long enough to see my boys grow up in the middle of that, where I sort of just sort of let go of even hoping for anything, just trying to get through the day. And I was laying on the floor with my three little boys and a woman from our church called 
And she said, Susie, I've heard the chatter. And I knew some women were gossiping about me because 30 years ago, they didn't know about Lyme. And it makes you look like a hypochondriac because it's symptom here, symptom there. And, and I would try to say, I am so not a hypochondriac. If I want attention, I'll ask for it. You know what I mean? Right. I, I, and I, I loved health and I was into fitness. So it's like, I'm not looking for an excuse for people to notice me, but I knew people were talking, but others were, were interceding, you know? And so she said, I've heard the chatter about you. And she said, those who feel sorry for you and those who are gossiping about you. And I wanted to know for myself, what are you doing with this family? So she said, I brought your case before the Lord. And she's a woman of God. So I'm like leaning in and listening. And she said, mm -hmm. Susie Larson, you listen to me. She said, the Lord showed me a platform that he's building with your pain that you're going to speak from someday. So lean in and learn everything you can because you're going to have a story to tell. Mm -hmm. And I, I knew it was true. I was like, it was like a truth bomb dropped into my soul. And I actually got physically worse disease wise before I got better. But I still, I knew in my knower, I've heard the, I've heard a truth. I, I've heard a word from the Lord. And every morning, you know, I would look up in the mirror before I'd kind of face my day to see if my face had drooped because I had so much facial numbing. They said, don't be surprised if you wake up with paralysis in your face. So, I mean, that's a lot for a young mom to take. But every morning I'm like, is, is my face still intact? You know, but after that, I wake up and I put my hand on the numb parts of my face and I would say, you will not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. And that hold up my pathetic empty checkbook and go, my God will supply my needs according to his, his riches, not mine. And one of the ways the enemy attacked me is what a pathetic mom I was. And I, I look back, I was not a pathetic mom. I was, we were, we prayed, we taught them the love of the Lord, but there were times where they were serving me in bed versus me serving them. And I just lamented over all that. And, uh, but the Lord, you know, just said, do it by faith, you know, engage your faith with every offering you have. And so I just started to literally declare his promises over all of these broken areas of my life. And I literally did see the enemy's plans and threats for every area of my life fall apart. And I'm not physically 100%. I've come a long way. It's a daily battle for me. But I've seen too much to turn back. His, his promises are truer than our circumstances. And um, I have an appetite for freedom now because I just know what Jesus died for. And we're going to keep contending till our last breath. Amen. 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 Oh, that's so, so good. And, you know, you just seeing you as you've gone through this and like hearing you talk about it and watching you. It's just so amazing because I'm in the medical field. Oh, I'm wow. a nurse. I'm a nurse during the day. Wow. So, you know, I've seen a lot and I've seen people crumble over circumstances less than what you've been dealing with. Mm -hmm. And so I know that our God is who he says he is and he will do what he promises and he doesn't leave us. And shame on the enemy for trying to take you out. <laughs> Thank you. Amen. Why well, did I tell you, you know, I mean, it was, it's been messy, you know, that, yeah. that there was a time a year ago with the neurological flares, it was starting to affect my heart. And they thought that inflammation had infiltrated my brain, spine, uh, uh, nervous system and heart. So it was terrifying heart beating irregular numbing, shooting up my neck and mm. into my jaw. And I literally did say, you have to kill me or heal me because like, I didn't have the mental bandwidth to navigate it, but all I need to do is go back and rehearse some of the ways God had shown up. And one story might be a, a blessing to somebody watching today or listening today. But, you know, in in those younger years, when I really didn't have enough of a foundation, I was just new in the faith, and yeah. the Lord is so faithful to build our foundation, but I just didn't understand his silence was preparation. It wasn't absence, mm -hmm. it was preparation. Um, but uh, Luke, our middle son, had a lot of respiratory issues. And when he was 15 months old, he had um, 
uh, I don't it, well, I don't know if it was RSV, but it was something like that. But his chest was caving in literally with every yeah. breath. Like <clears throat> you've seen that before, yeah. and uh, lips blue and mm. and he at 15 months old said when he was in the hospital, one of the doctors says his heart won't last another 24 hours. I have to refer him to a specialist. And, you know, it was terrifying. We, we got him home. And that's when I found out I was pregnant with Jordan, our number three. So when Jordan was born in the dead of winter, and I still got these symptoms, but I don't know what's going on with me. Cause I'm thinking I got a newborn. Well, then RSV was an epidemic. And they said, you almost lost your middle son, you know, just 10 months ago and now you've got a newborn and rsv is a airborne virus so don't let people come to see you that have any kind of runny nose or anything just you got to protect your home right now so we put the word out but a mom still came with her green runny nose kid and as soon as they walked in the door the kid you know coughed and sneezes within a couple of days luke was wheezing and we had this tiny little split entry house yeah, I called the doctor and they said, we could admit him, but you have a newborn and we just think let's help you treat him at home. So we had him in a little playpen with a steamer blowing in and they taught me how to do the bronchial drainage. And so I, I literally, you know, never slept more than an hour and a half at a time, but I would drain his lungs, you know, pray over him, would, you know, disinfect my hands, change my shirt, sit up in the rocking chair till I heard the baby cry. Then I would nurse him, disinfect my hands. And I just did heroically as best I could to keep them apart for three and a half weeks. So all the while, you know, if you want to give a disease entrance to your life, don't sleep. But I, I couldn't, I was trying to keep these two apart. And, but all the neurological symptoms were going like haywire in my body. And I just, I just, I'm like, I can't deal with that right now. Maybe I'm stressed. I got to keep these two apart. Well, one morning, about three and a half weeks in, I go get my little baby. He's almost four weeks old. And I hear him coughing and rattling a little bit. And I'm like, oh my word. So I called my small group and I literally said, I don't think God's speaking to me right now, but I know he's speaking to you. I don't know what, you know, if I've done something to chase him away, but my little boy, my baby is sick. Would you guys come? And so they came and they laid hands on Jordan. He was in a little car seat and they worshiped. And I, I felt the tangible presence of God. Like I was mm -hmm. like, oh, like, I, you know, I don't know why I'm feeling it now. And if you're mad at me, I, I just didn't know what was going on, but I felt the presence of God. I'm like, oh, I've missed this. And I thought we are on the verge of a miracle. Well, the next morning I go to get him out of his crib and his lips are blue and he's coughing and projecting. And it was like, I brought him to the ER and they literally didn't even, they bypassed registration. They didn't fill out any paperwork. They took him out of my hands and said, follow us. And they checked him in and got him all hooked up to these, all these oximeter and his tubes and his IV and everything. And then they registered. And I was exhausted because I hadn't slept in a month and, uh, and I had something going on in my body. And I sat down, Kev went to call the family. And all of a sudden, this is the dead of winter. And this oil of joy poured into me, like, mm -hmm. I, like a joy that I can't explain. And I, I'm like, God's doing something here or I'm losing my mind, but either way, I'll take it because I've never experienced anything like this. And I wrote it in my journal. Well, a jump ahead a year later by a miracle, the Lord allowed me to find out it was Lyme after they ruled out brain tumor and MS and everything. At that point, they just weren't looking at Lyme. So I went months still not knowing while this thing was cyclical in my life. But once we figured out it was Lyme, and I, I plummeted. They sent out a home health care nurse to hook me up to IV therapy and fill my fridge with IV bags. And Jojo Jordan was a year old at the time. So the nurse is getting, you know, teaching me how to care for that little port thing and all that. And Jojo runs in like little Speedy Gonzalez and he's spinning around and, you know, one year old just in his diaper. And she's like, what's he doing alive? And I'm like, what? <laughs> and she said, well, I've taken care of two women who were bit 
around the time that we suspect you were, because I was up one day out of bed rest and two weeks from that time is when the symptoms came. Mm -hmm. She said, I've taken care of two pregnant women who were a bit around the time that you were, went about a year undiagnosed like you did. Both of those babies went blind and died within a few months of their birth. Wow. Like, what is he doing alive? And I'm like, yeah. I don't know. And she's like, was he ever sick? And I said, well, yeah, he had double pneumonia. Um, and was hospitalized at four weeks old. And she said, well, what did they use for his IV? And I, I don't remember now, but I told her then. And she goes, that treated him before you even knew what you had. And mm -hmm. I went to my knees right in front of her and wept and cried and said, oh God, I will, I'll never shake my fist at you again. And it was like this thundering awareness that his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are beyond our thoughts. And so we don't have to go through our trials looking good. I mean, it's messy. We're army crawling. Our nose is running. We're mad. We're pounding on his chest, but he's so patient and compassionate and he's still working for our good. You know, I thought I'd received a yes that night when the the life group was there, but then the morning I'm like, no, I guess that was just a good feeling. And he said, no, but actually what he was doing was giving me a temporary no so he could give me a bigger yes. And mm -hmm. I just, I want to trust him more because he's so trustworthy, but I just pray that encourages someone today that right now it might seem like a no, might be a temporary no, so he can give you a bigger yes because he's he's always up to good good things, you know? Oh, amen. So true. So true. And that that's definitely helped me just by listening to you. So I know it's going to help other people. So thank you so much for sharing, you know, all those different parts of your story. Uh, one of the questions that I wanted to talk about with you as well is you keep you keep saying that you were young when you you know you were young in the faith and all these kind of things when did your faith journey start uh okay so again i was born into a, a denomination i don't want to name it but it's you know, okay yeah yeah where you know because others are maybe are in that that that, that right lane. right fully experienced God, but it, he just wasn't presented. The gospel was never presented or anything. Mm -hmm. And um, so once I got into middle school, I uh, was in gymnastics and singing in the choir. And part of that was because those are things that I loved. But the other part was I was trying to dig my way out of a hole that I thought I was in because I had a major identity crisis because of what had happened. Right. I was a young girl. And, and to be truthful, around that season is when my older brothers, I love them, but in that season, they were hanging around creepy friends. So I didn't want to, mm. you know, my mom was working, so I didn't, and my dad was working, so I didn't want to come home after school and be in any kind of position to, you know, so I thought I'm just right. going to get super involved in stuff in middle school and come mm. home when my mom comes home. And uh, so that's sort of what I did. And I often say that if you just look at your childhood, the first time that you were attacked or you felt like you weren't enough, it's like, that's when the enemy is seeing potential in you before you see potential in you. And he's, mm -hmm. he's his attack against you is very connected. His threat to you is very connected to your threat to him. And I'll just say that. So, but anyway, mm -hmm. it was middle school. I think it was eighth grade and I was uh, going to be at a sleepover slumber party. And I had a really, really close relationship with my mom for, ha for having seven kids. It amazed me how she made wow. each of us like we were so special and, mm. you know, they didn't know about the sexual assault. I didn't tell them about that till I was 18, but they knew I was beat up because I came home beat up. Um, but when I was walking out the door, she teasingly said, now don't sneak out and meet boys. And I stopped and I almost turned around to tell her why I never in a million years would sneak out to meet boys. I mean, I almost, almost wanted to throw up when I heard her. She was teasing and being cute and sweet. 
but it reminded me that I was keeping a secret from her, but I actually didn't know what the secret was. I didn't know whose fault it was. I was so confused about what those boys had done. And I thought, mm-hmm. was that partly my fault? I mean, you know, I went down into my laundry room and my brother's friends were there. My brother wasn't there and they shut the door behind me. I just did not know what happened there. Mm-hmm. And so at that moment, I was like, um, I just stopped in my tracks and I said, turned around, I said, don't, don't worry, mom, I won't. But I was so close to saying, mom, can I tell you something? But I, I couldn't mm-hmm. do it. So anyway, I went to the slumber party and we did what slumber party girls do. We This tells you how old I am. I, we danced to the Beach Boys. So anyway, and we ate <laughs> and uh, we, you know, did, you know, did the swim and, you mm-hmm. know, had martinis or whatever. But it was probably like 10 o'clock at night. The girls decided to sneak out to meet boys. And I'm like, there, there's no way I'm going out, put myself in that position and so I jokingly say I stayed back with the two girls who smoked, <laughs> but um, but I didn't smoke and they didn't want anything to do with me, but they were sitting in their in their sleeping bag, but they just had a little bit rougher edge to them, but they were on the other side of the basement and I'm mm-hmm. sitting all by myself on the other side of the basement and they are mocking what they had learned at the local parochial Catholic school. They were, they attended the local Catholic school, but they were mocking the nun who had taught that day about the book of Revelation, mm-hmm. about, oh, as if that there's going to be holes that open up in the earth and these grasshoppers or, you know, they were just sort of mocking some of the things that she was teaching mm-hmm. and making fun of it. But I had never heard anything like that before. So I went out, uh, sat on the picnic table under the stars and said, God, if, I know you're real, but if there's more to you than what I know, will you make yourself real to me? And I literally said this, I'm going to start reading the Bible. I think it's kind of boring, but if you can snazz it up, we got the deal. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like, I always laugh. I keep picturing God rubbing his temples going, you know, in on a technicality, <laughs> you know, but <laughs> I mean, I just, but this was my simple prayer, but I did start to read the gospels and Psalms and Proverbs. And I literally fell in love with Jesus and just, mm-hmm. I understood uh, the penalty needed, you know, for a sinner. And I wept, like I would read the Bible under my bedsheet with my flashlight. Sometimes and I just could not get enough of it. And, uh, but I will tell you, uh, I knew then I was saved once I just understood what Jesus did, but I didn't know till all the crisis happened with my health as a young wife and mom that I was loved. You know, it's almost like God allowed the playing field to be cleared of all my striving because I just transferred all of my striving from, you know, junior high or middle school and high school sports and things to as a Christian, as a young adult. I mean, I was serving in five committees and I was just super server, you know, and I loved mm-hmm. it the world to me so I had a good heart towards it but I just didn't I didn't realize that I was just performing in a way just mm-hmm. thinking I, I I had the you know I want God to love me and I, I love being mm-hmm. here but I needed him to meet me in the place where I was offering nothing and um so that's really how I mean I started to read scripture and I learned about the ninth grade 10th grade maybe about uh, a bible study in the next community over mm-hmm. and uh I snuck to it and lied about it. So I um, told my mom I was going to the library, felt bad about that, but I just didn't want any flack. And I went and found this Bible study and I would sit on the floor and listen to this guy, bring the word of God to life. And that's really what gave me a love for God's word. Just the way that he would go in character as Peter or John. And he would, <laughs> I can still smell the charcoal fire or, you know, he would just, he would reenact scripture and then do a teaching on wow. it. And, uh, and I didn't know that he had a ministry to kids at risk. So they were rough edge kids that looked like they've been, 
you know, there were gangs and, you know, heavy duty users and all of that. And here I am with my little letter jacket and they were so kind to me, but they're like, do you want to go out and have a smoke? And I'm like, no, I'm good. And, you know, I had no idea how I found this. And it wasn't until years later, because that, that man became a good friend. I found out years later, he was working with at-risk youth and I'm like, at-risk youth. And I'm standing here with my hubby and three kids. And he goes, I've been waiting for you to ask that question. He said, I always wondered what in the world were you doing there? Like, how did you find this study? Because he's, he's, you know, hired to minister to these families with, with kids who are at risk. And I don't know how I found it. And I went to the study and I fell in love with God's word. And God was really instrumental in using him to give me a love for Jesus and his word. So that's mm -hmm. really how my faith journey began. Amen. And he knew what you needed, even if you weren't in that category, but you, he knew you needed to be there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so, I was as lost as they were, yeah. you know, just in a different way. Right. Exactly. And I, I, I always, you know, that song prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. We often, mm -hmm. you know, look at people who wander in the ways of indulgences and substances and all of that, but there's another way to wander. You can right. wander in the ways of self-striving and trying yeah. to earn your way. And it's just as wandering. And that, that would have been my bent. Mm -hmm. And if not for all that I went through, and I'm not saying God made me sick, but he allowed it, I would have been a hyper striving Christian, you know, but I, you know, you hear about the analogy of the shepherd who's got this wandering sheep and finally that little sheep gets lost, breaks its leg and it gets stuck in the thicket and the shepherd finds it, puts it around its neck. And that wandering sheep suddenly develops such an attachment to the shepherd because its little heart starts beating in rhythm mm -hmm. with the shepherd. And once that leg heals, that little sheep stays closer than the other sheeps because it has an intolerance for distance because it's like, I've grown so attached to you. I got to stay right with you. And this is where I just embrace what happened because I, I'm a striver enough to know that I would have, you know, strived my way right, um, right out of grace, so to speak, you know? And um, I really feel like God allowed that to create just such a love for intimacy that, you know, I, I've always had a, bad taste in my mouth for the celebrity Christianity thing that we see in the West. I think it's so not the gospel and it's antithesis of how Jesus served. But I think all of what happened to me sort of broke that in me. And uh, mm -hmm. my, my intimacy with God is the most important thing about my life more than anything else. And uh, I really give that, that glory to him for redeeming my story, you know? Amen. And that's, that's what he truly does. And that's the whole purpose of people coming on the podcast and sharing their freedom story is to share their story about how God took them and met them right where they were and redeemed, redeemed them. Mm -hmm. So thank yeah. you again so much for sharing. I just have a couple, couple last questions for you. Um, when you were going through all those tough times and with your illness and your sons being sick and just all the things that you've had to work through, what verses kept you anchored? Wow, that's a great one. I wish I had the reference. I want to say it's 126, but it says, uh, he who sows in tears will reap with shouts of joy. They weep as they plant their seed, but they return rejoicing with a harvest in their arms. That's my paraphrase. But that has proven true. And I've had different stages of crisis in my life. And when things were starting to kind of settle down lime-wise, where it never went away, but it just sort of got to a manageable place. My hubby was diagnosed with cancer. That was 20-something yeah. years ago. But in every valley situation when we said if everything else is falling apart we've got your word we're going to put it in the ground and we're going to you know water it with our tears every time that promise has proven true that we come back come through having found him abundantly and so I, that was probably one of my most uh, wonderful go-to passages 126 those who plant in tears 
will harvest with shouts of joy. They weep as they plant their seed, but they sing as they return with the harvest. And that's 126 verses five and six. And you really should read it in multiple translations mm -hmm. so that you get a real full picture of what that one is about. It's fantastic. Amen. I'll put that in the show notes for today. And how can people come in contact with you or follow you? Sure. Uh, SusieLarson.com is my website. And then I post blessings every day, morning and uh, night on Instagram uh, mm -hmm. and Facebook, and then a shortened version on Twitter. And uh, I do Facebook lives. And then if you want to um, listen to the show, you could go, it's a live show on a radio network, but then it goes to podcast and we've got people mm -hmm. from 90 countries listening. So, and it's a free download faith radio network, or you could just go to your favorite podcast player, type in my name and you'll find, but we're talking to really amazing leaders and it's all deeper mm -hmm. life conversation. So I love it. We're on every day. So um just go to your podcast player and put my name in and you'll find the, the shows there. Definitely. Definitely. I will do that. Um, real briefly, we didn't get a chance to talk much about it, but I love, I love the way and the direction this conversation went. Um, that's just, I love how the spirit moves um, in conversations and speaking of the spirit, your new book that just came out. Let's mm -hmm. uh, talk real briefly about that. Yes, yeah, Strong in Battle, Why the Humble Will Prevail. And it really is a handbook on navigating uh, the battle, remembering who you are, remembering who God is, establishing patterns and ways the enemy comes against you so you can shore up your life, discerning the difference between a trauma fear and a God-given warning. You know, a trauma fear mm -hmm. where you get blindsided by this irrational fear. But if you retrace your steps, you'll see the enemy is a legalist and he found an inroad before and then he waits for your most vulnerable moment and he blindsides you. And those trauma fears kind of make you feel like you can't trust God. And the enemy wants you to project fears into a future that God's not in, but he doesn't get to do that. You know, where a God-given warning is a word of caution and sobriety where he's saying, watch your step. But that inspires trust in God and dependence on God. So it really is just learning the wiles of the enemy, remembering who God is and navigating your battle. So when it's all said and done, you're still standing. I, I love the book. I feel like it's probably one of the most important books I've written to date. Awesome. And I will put links to that as well in the show notes. And I can truly see how you've done that throughout your whole story and everything that you've shared today. Mm -hmm. So again, I am so grateful that you have spent some time with me today and shared your story with my listeners. So thank you again so much. Absolutely. Susie. Thanks for uh, having me. Appreciate absolutely. It. absolutely. And guys, thank you. And I'll talk to you next episode. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. I pray that each of you will take something from this episode, that you will be challenged, that you will be encouraged in your walk with God. If you enjoyed this episode, please head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Leave a five-star rating and review so that other people can find this and other people can listen to the stories of God's redemption. I love you guys, and I'll talk to you next episode. Thank you for listening to this episode that is part of the Spark Media Network that can now be heard on the Edify app.